performance really is a choice, right? If, if I can effectively manage these psychological and physiological variables, I know what they are and I know how to build a framework around it. I can consistently leverage my genetic and my skills and expertise in a way that is optimal. I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders, and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Okay, Resetters, on this episode of the Resetter podcast, I have brought you Kristen, the VP of Whoop. And this woman is one serious badass. You are going to see that she is not only brilliant and knows her science, but she has a heck of a resume when it comes to athletics. So her specialty or her sport was field hockey on the U.S. national team. She was the coach at Princeton and in field hockey won 12. Ivy League championships and one national championship. Like this woman knows performance and she has identified what we can learn from Whoop to maximize our performance in our everyday life. So on this episode, we are going to unpack heart rate variability. We are going to look at sleep and all aspects of sleep. We're going to look at recovery and how do you know when you should maybe hold off on a fast or maybe you should lean into a longer fast. We talk about all things performance and tie it into how you can use tools like Whoop to fine-tune your lifestyle. So you don't have to have a Whoop to enjoy this performance. And this woman has something incredibly unique to share with all of us. And I'm excited that I got this conversation and I'm excited. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy to become a member. 
I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. Excited to bring it to you. So Kristen Combs, enjoy. One of the things I'm, I'm an ex athlete as is Jessica and many of the people in our, in our, um, in on our team and holy cow, you have an impressive field hockey story. And the question that I have for you is 13, 13, what was it? Uh, 13 years at Princeton as Mm -hmm. a coach and you only lost four games. (laughs) In in conference. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) What, what did you do different? What is it that gave you the superpower of winning like that? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I think there are a few, a few things at play that really did provide a, a bit of a competitive advantage. Um, I think number one, just the, our framework in terms of how we thought about learning and development was potentially a little different. Um, we were really just, uh, frankly, so engrossed in our own, um, our own learning, our own development. Um, we kind of, this whole notion of competition kind of, we were almost like immune to that. Like it was really never about the opponent for us. And I, and I think where, what happens in conference play is you create all of these rivals, right? Like where one game is more important than another. And we kind of, in, in our thinking about, you know, how we wanted to be as a, as a team and how we wanted to approach, um, the game, uh, kind of philosophically, we, we thought more about, you know, how do we just get better every single day? Um, how do we control our own behaviors in a way that helps direct our thoughts and intention and attention in a way that is going to help us be a better version of ourselves? And, you know, this isn't just about the techniques and tactics of, of what's happening on the playing field. Of course, all of that really matters, but um, it's really that, that time away where you're tasked with having to make a choice that's either going to kind of upgrade or, or downgrade um, your capacity. And, and I think that's the framework that we kind of approached the, the team with and, and how we centered our education um, was very much around, you know, this concept of, of self-rule. You know, what, are, what do you need to know about the, the physiology and the psychology as it relates to your motivation and effective effort and, you know, your attentional capacity, you know, what are the big influencers and building a framework around that was really our foundation. And I think we probably did that better than anyone in the country, frankly, um, if, if I can Obviously. say, I, I just, <laughs> your statistics speak that. that, you know, I, I, yeah, but I do, I do think that had a big, a bit that foundation. I think that we laid had a, a big difference and, and just taking that concept of our opponent off the table. That wasn't really for us a consideration. It was, it was how do I step on the field and really impose my will on the opposition? And, and what does that mean about my choices leading up to that moment? And, you know, how do I need to think about the, the game tactically? Um, we, you know, we had very interesting tactics in that we're always trying to score, right? So we, we kind of um, made our framework of what we're trying. Everyone on the field was always trying to score. So every decision that we evaluated was, was this a decision that could lead to 
a goal. <laughs> and, and that informed how we defended, how we attacked. So we had this very, very simple task orientation that everyone on the, on the team could latch onto. And that gave us a platform to be able to evaluate how we were, how we were going. Um, so we had, you know, a couple of things like that in place that I, I think were, were big differentiators for us. Amazing. Amazing. I, and I can't help but make a parallel to what you're now doing with Whoop. And I, a lot of what we've been trying to do in our community is get people to stop looking at measurements like the scale or other measurements that may not be helpful to understand what how their body is performing on a day-to-day basis. Like we have entered this whole new world of healthcare where we can see performance on the, on a, on a moment by moment uh, aspect and really analyze it and decide what we want, how we want to make different lifestyle changes. And one of the things about your uh, past that really is interesting to me is this idea that somewhere I read that you said that physiology and psychology are more important than skills and uh, if you could elaborate on that, because I think if you asked me what it takes to be healthy, I feel like it's not your genetics. It is how you treat your body and your mindset. It's, it's coming at health from a very similar approach that you came to athletics. Can you kind of dive into yeah. what you meant by that statement? Yeah, I think the thesis around that is that, you know, we all come to the table with a certain type, you know, we have a genetic code, right? And, and that's mm-hmm. relatively you know, not something that we can change, right? Um, we all come to the table with some skills and expertise and, and knowledge. And, um, you know, it's definitely influenced and nurtured by, you know, different levels of, of coaching or, you know, mentoring, you know, the folks who you're around on a daily basis, um, you know, kind of, I think, can, can certainly amplify that. But I think what, whether or not you can leverage your genetics and your skills and expertise is largely mm-hmm. based on how you manage these physiological and psychological components, right? That gives you the platform to be able to really optimize your, your, your genetic and your skills and expertise, like whatever that potential is. And that's always, you know, when I talk to professional athletes and tackle athletes who are already really elite, you know, top surgeons in the world, I'm already really good. You know, what, what can you really offer me? Well, I, what I can offer you is that you might be leaving something on the table, right? If you're not considering your lifestyle in, a, in an intentional way and you don't necessarily know what, what to measure, what's important, how to apply your effort in an effective way, um, you know, what's influencing your motivation on a day to day. You know, if you don't, if you can't answer these questions, you're really just, um, you know, your, your chances of performing consistently are diminished. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think the opportunity is, all right, how do I, number one, kind of uh, really, uh, you know, kind of take this notion of flow or the zone that's, you know, arbitrarily, I'm hitting it arbitrarily, like every now and again, kind of take that off the table and think about this from the standpoint that performance really is a choice, right? If, If I can effectively manage these psychological and physiological variables, I know what they are, and I know how to build a framework around it, I can consistently leverage my genetic and my skills and expertise in a way that is optimal. Right. So I I do think, you know, this is very much, and this has been the basis of my research for the last 20 years is really been around this notion of, of, of kind of quantifying the zone, you know, like it's not, it's, there's no guesswork. And and from my point of view, having been around the best athletes in the world and having oceans of data and, you know, having done this for as long as I have, like, I feel really confident that 
performance is largely a choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we understand the factors and we are, we can apply, you know, a bit of discipline and a bit of effort and we know how to focus our attention. There's no reason why you can't perform consistently day to day. There's no reason. And I would say on that, we also, for the everyday person, the person who's not like trying to achieve amazing things necessarily in their life, they just want to have optimal health. What I'm seeing with Whoop is that you guys have put together something amazing for people to take where they're at and and amplify their performance in life. Is that kind of the the slant you came at with Whoop? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I know when, well, Ahmed, the, the CEO of, of Whoop and, you know, founder, who's just an extraordinary human being and has just this amazing vision um, for the product always has. Um, you know, I remember one of our first conversations is, you know, while this started, you know, at the tip of the spear with, you know, the most elite athletes on the planet and really, you know, thinking about this product from a training and adaptation standpoint, you know, how do we help folks train optimally? It has really evolved to a product that, is for everyone. You know, I know yep. Mindy, you're a former, a former athlete. I was a former athlete, but shoot right now, I am just, I'm a mom. I'm trying to look good yep. naked and, you know, <laughs> live as long as possible. Like those are my goals. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, but, but really it's about, it's about being available. It's about showing up with as much, you know, presence as, as, as you can. And, you know, that's how I really evaluate my success is, can I show up for the things that matter to me, right? With a, with a level of presence and clarity and, 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 you know, attention that, that feels good, right? Like that, that's, those are my values, right? And, and for me, a, a path to that is understanding how I'm adapting to external stress. And that's what we measures, right? Like we yes. help folks understand how you're adapting to external stress. And without that knowledge and without that, without that understanding, it's just really hard to understand how to apply your effort, right? Like I don't, I don't have a million you know, hours that like none of us do. We're all busy. Right. And yeah. I think what, what whoop does is it really helps you understand, okay, where's my sleep? Okay. I'm not getting enough time in deep stages of sleep. How do I fix that? Right. We help you with that. We give yes, you that. You intel, right. Um, you know, am I, am I, is my strain consistently exceeding my capacity? I, am I overtraining? You know, we tell you that, like we, we tell you what your capacity is. And if you are, experiencing a downward trend, you know, in your metrics, you know, looking at resting heart rate and heart rate variability and, you know, the whoop recovery algorithm, if, if you're consistently on a, on a downward trend, something is happening, right? And you can start to ask more intelligent questions about your behaviors and how they might in fact be influencing those markers that we track. Yeah. So it's just a really good opportunity to use data as a human being to, to, to just be more present in your life. Yeah. Oh, I, I, for sure. I've had whoop now for about three months. So we started with a a group of, of my staff and we all created a team together and I'm going to give a shout out to Jessica's husband because he has been like the papa bear of the team. He analyzes (laughs) all of our HRV and oh, he, sure. you know, it lists every day, like the order in which I don't know exactly if it's based off strain, but his HRV is ridiculous. Like his HRV oh, goes, it. goes up. Jessica, what was like the highest was like 150 or something. I'm like, I'm just trying to get mine to 50. So I, <laughs> what is the highest Jessica? Yeah, he's, I think he's gotten like 180 or something. Yeah. So I asked him and I did two things. One, I 
joined another group because I was like, I need a group of women that are my age that like, I'm not going to compare myself to a 35 year old man. I need to figure out what I, but he did something really smart. And I think this is how you designed the band to be is that he's a Spartan racer. And mm-hmm. so what he wanted to do is make sure his workouts were not his biggest workouts were it aligned up with what the strain coach told him to do, what his recovery yep. was. Is that how you, is that, that's how you guys designed this to be? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And that, and that's really the strain coach feature. You know, that's the, the genesis behind, um, behind strain coach is really helping you understand, you know, what do I have in the tank? You know, what's my capacity and, and really helping you understand, um, you know, how much harder, how much further you can go, um, based on, you know, what, what you have in the tank. And, and that's really, you know, staying in that sweet spot of training is really, you know, how you, um, you know, how you optimize, uh, you know, how you, how you really make the, the best fitness gains, you know, is, is really mapping, you know, that, that exertion level with, um, you know, and, and making it in line with your capacity. Awesome. And so the goal is not to get the highest strain number that you possibly no. can in a day. No, no. And a lot of things influence, you know, your ability, you know, so if I come in, if I come to a workout and I've got a 14, you know, percent recovery, then I'm probably, and I have a, and I go, I have a super, you know, high volume, high intensity workout. I'm going to have my strains going to be through the roof because my body to do that workout mm-hmm. is having to work so stinking hard that, you know, I, I'm, I'm basically going to have a really high strain, right? Cause my cardiovascular system, my, um, you know, my, the, my, my, my muscles, my CO2 capacity, all of that is going to be all of my biological, you know, functioning is, is going to be compromised, right? Because I don't have, um, because I'm under recovered, right? right. For, for whatever reason. So um, I'm not going to be able to adapt to that stimulus in a functional way, in the way that someone who is coming on coming into that workout with an 80% recovery, right? They, we could do the same exact recovery, be the same exact age, use the same exact weights. And, you know, the person with the lower recovery is going to end up with a higher strain. Um, so it really is, it's fitness level, it's age, it's, you know, it's all of those things that influence, you know, what your strain ends up being. Um, but certainly going for the highest strain is, is not necessarily, you know, it's, it's a more complicated matrix um, than, than just simply, oh, getting the highest strain. That really doesn't mean a whole lot. So are you seeing big changes? Like you work with a lot of competitive uh, athletes, a lot of NBA professional players. Are you, are you seeing that they are learning how to hold back in their workouts so that they don't push themselves on a day that their, their body wasn't ready for that? Yeah, we, we definitely see that starting to play out more. I mean, you hear this, this term load management, right? Like it's, it's hilarious because I was thinking about this a decade and a half ago um, because we, I was using all sorts of technology to kind of um, understand, uh, you know, capacity. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so there's definitely been in, the, I think, the last four or five years. And I think Whoop has had a huge piece of um, has really been a, a huge piece of this conversation is really helping folks understand that if your body isn't isn't, you know, primed to adapt to a stimulus you are not going to be able to get the benefits of that workout. Like your body simply doesn't have the resources to allocate to accept this concept of, of load management. Folks are really starting to grab to grasp onto it and actually uh, use data 
to, to better understand how to um, maximize training opportunities. And, and that's at its core, you know, what WHOOP is just really, really good at, at helping folks is, hey, this is your capacity. This is how much load, you know, volume and intensity you can take on uh, to, to meet your desired result. And sometimes, you know, if you're trying to get fitter, it, it's it you would expect to see a suppression in heart rate variability and an increase in resting heart rate, right? That means that your your body's actually responding and adapting to the volume and intensity that you're putting on. But if you are simultaneously taking on that volume and intensity, not getting sleep, drinking alcohol, eating like crap, not getting hydrated, your body isn't going to be able to accept that stimulus. So you kind of have to really live right if you're in fact trying to, to functionally overreach um, as measured by, you know, heart rate variability, resting heart rate, you can use those metrics to really understand, you know, if you're in that sweet spot of functionally overreaching versus, um, you know, versus, uh, you know, maladaptive type of training um, effect, right? But you've got to really re- live right in order to kind of make it. To me, gains. that's revolutionary thinking because, I mean, when I played college athletics yeah. 30 years ago, the idea was you just pushed yourself every single day and you just did more and more. Oh. Yeah. More like, and more and more. I know. I mean, it literally <laughs> took the strain coach. It took Justin showing me on my whoop, like, look, your strain coach will tell you how hard you're supposed to work out. And I'm like, really? That's, that's a whole yeah. Another idea. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's crazy. So I want to go through some of the things that you guys analyzed because we have a lot of questions on it, and I want to help our audience get the most out of uh, Whoop. Like I said, what we're starting is a group. um, Our we have a we call it the Resetters, and we're starting a group that we'll be able to see what what happens to everybody's sleep and HRV, resting heart rate when we fast together. Because we'll have you know imagine thousands of people all doing the same fast, and then we can start to analyze the data. So yeah. we're we're geeking out on this with you. Yeah. So let's start with let's start with sleep. Um, okay, what's more important, your total sleep? Or deep sleep and REM sleep. Like, what do you? My Jessica can get her sleep performance to a hundred percent, like every day. I can't, but I can get my deep sleep over an hour. And sometimes the other day, I went two hours and twenty three minutes in my deep sleep. What it, What should I be looking for at sleep? Is there a piece that's more powerful than others? Yeah. Well, so just to break it down, so sleep performance, the number that you see in your Whoop app um, is basically just how much sleep you need versus mm, what you actually okay. got. So Jessica's listening to okay, her Whoop, that's your sleep what you're plan. telling me. <laughs> yeah. So Whoop is telling Jessica, hey, you need to spend eight hours in bed. She spends eight hours, you know, she spends enough time in bed to basically um, fulfill, you know, the time that she spends in actual sleep um, meets whatever the recommendation that whoop puts out. So that's the, you know, that's that, that, that percentage that you, that, that you get um, it's that ratio. Um, So in terms of what's most important, um, your body is going to drive your, your need. Okay. Okay? So um, how much time I need to spend. So don't think about it, how much, you know, REM versus slow wave sleep, both are really important. The amount of time, the percentage of time that you're going to spend in REM versus slowly of sleep is really going to be driven by what your body needs from a restorative standpoint. Um, You know, I I think it wouldn't be too out of line to to say that, you know, the the harder you're working out, you know, the more your body is going to drive towards Mm -hmm. slowly of sleep because that's the, the time where you have the physical restoration. If you're just cognitively like really like I know days that I where I'm like working a ton and really having to apply my brain power, I, I end up spending more time mm. in REM. So I, I don't, you know, 
and I think that the, the science is not super conclusive on this, but I think we can say conclusively that your body is going to drive your, your need. So you want to think about on the Whoop platform, you want to spend about 40, 40 to 50% of your total time in bed in these deeper stages of sleep. Okay. I think that's a, a good goal to shoot for. So if I'm, you know, if Whoop says that I need to spend, you know, roughly eight hours in bed, um, of that eight hours in bed, I really want to try to spend at least 30 minutes, um, only, you know, less than 30 minutes awake is, is kind of what I'm hoping for. And I can tell you how to get there. If yes, you want, um, you know, the other bit is going to be light. And then, um, and then the, um, the, the rest of the time. So roughly, you know, three and a half, four hours, I'm hoping that will be divided in some way, some, you know, percentage of, 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 you know, 40% of that, of that time will be in these um, deeper stages of sleep. So that's kind of how we think about it and what we consider optimal. on the I, platform. I interviewed uh, Dave Asprey. Do you know David, Dave Asprey, the bullet prince? Yeah. So yes. I interviewed oh, him a, a couple of weeks so ago good. and he's quite a character and he gets on, on the ready for the interview and he's like, Oh, I'm going to be amazing today. Cause I just got three hours of deep sleep. And I was like, how did you get nice. three hours of deep sleep? That's crazy. So, and what I know about sleep is that deep sleep is where your brain detoxifies and that that's where you actually, your brain, the, the um, brain will shrink and the cerebral spinal fluid goes up and washes the brain out. So the deep sleep is something that I've always been watching, but I also, my other sleep is not as good. So I, I haven't been paying as close of attention to those. How, when you say, how do you, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Deep sleep split, it's split into, so there's four different kind of phases of deep sleep. So we just characterize it as, you know, REM and slow sleep. Like that's, and then we give you percentage of time that you're spending in both. So slow sleep is the physically restorative time period. That's when you release human growth hormone. I think, you know, almost in fact, like 95% of, of your hormone, human growth hormone is mm. released during slow sleep. So, you know, it's an important uh, piece of the puzzle. Um, and that's where, um uh, yeah, the, you know, the uh, yeah. collagen is producing you know, all sorts of things are, are important things are happening um, during that time frame. And in REM is when, um, you know, amyloid protein mm -hmm. buildup gets released. So we're talking about this brain detoxification that happens during uh, rapid eye movement. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all of these stages are important and, and central and have a different function. Um, and I think just, you know, to note is that, you know, sleep is a really, it's a highly active mm, so process, true. you know, it's, it's a lot going on, you know, so, um, it's really important that we, we put ourselves in a position to actually, um, you know, capitalize on, on all of these stages. Right. And that, you know, very much is tied to our daytime behaviors. Um, you know, not just what's happening right before bed, but really the moment that we wake up, we need to start thinking about how my behaviors are actually going to influence my sleep because it, they do, you know, the things that I'm doing during the day are either going to kind of help my, my, my ability to get into these deeper stages of sleep or, or they're not. So thinking about it in those terms, I think a couple is really of things important. we've noticed is that if you eat dinner and then you go to bed, like you wake up the next morning and your whoop is like, you suck. Like, I don't, I'm telling you, you are so spot on. I mean, we've been observing this in the data for years, right? So I, this is a recommendation that I've been pushing with my athletes for, for, for years that we've been working with, because we've seen that's so obvious in the data when folks are eating, you know, within a couple hours of a bedtime, it just, it has such a math, almost the same influence yeah. as alcohol, uh, you know, not quite, but, but, you know, the wrong content and quality and timing 
will 100% influence your sleep in a very similar way to alcohol. And, and, and it's, it goes back to this process that you know sleep is really active. And when you're asking your body to digest, while some, it can't digest and recover at the same time. It just can't do both of these processes. So it's going to allocate all the resources toward digestion. It's going to do that until it's fully, until you're fully, you know, digested, digested, and then it can focus on REM and slow sleep and all these other processes that need to be happening. So you end up basically, as you've seen in your data, and as you folks, you know, all the folks on the platform um, have seen, um, you know, is that you, you, basically end up with a much more fragmented mm-hmm. sleep experience um, when you're eating close because you're, you know, having to do both of these things at the same time and you can't do that. So, you know, the resources are going to go toward digestion first because that's just how yeah, the body it works. has been so motivating for both my husband and I, we uh, we're eating dinner early. The two of us are going to bed early, like all no. from whoop. We're like, Oh my God. And The other day, my parents were over and I had to kick them out of the house. I was like, I got, you're going to affect my whoop score. You need to leave now. And it's because it definitely gamifies that piece for you. It really does. I I think exposure to that data and, you know, just the elegance, I think of the, the UX and the UI, like just the way, uh, you know, just our product folks are just like out of this world, you know, um, and just get better every, every, every single day. But yeah, I think the behavior modification, I think that is just literally the biggest differentiator of anything else on the product is that uh, on the market is that, you know, we're not just, you know, we're, we're helping you understand how to modify your behaviors so you can get the outcomes that you want in your life, you know, whether it's to, you know, lose weight or, well, you know, it's to get fit or, you know, train optimally or be healthy. Like we can help you do all of those things. Right. And we're, because we're going to create this really robust foundation that allows you to efficiently layer on these other protocols that you can then, you know, really capitalize on, whether it's your exercise protocols or nutrition protocols, but really at the foundation is, is just some of these core things. We, my 20 year old daughter is in college and she was having trouble waking up to her alarm. So I got her a whoop and I was like, let's look and see where you're in deep sleep. Like what's same thing. It just has really worked on helping her understand how she can control her quality of sleep. So I would agree with you on that. Uh, And it's just been what, just before we leave sleep and jump into HRV, which is my favorite discussion. um, What do you, how much of a time period between dinner and going to bed do you think is best for sleep performance? I think two to three hours is, is a good buffer. um, between yeah. And then, um, yeah, and you said it. I'd be remiss not to mention it, but you know, sleep consistency is is kind of the most important behavior as it relates to um, you know, in addition to a cold, dark, quiet room, very important as well. But um, that's more on the hygiene side. But um, in terms of an actual behavior that um, really drives time in deeper stages of sleep. Um, it's the regulation of when you go to bed and when you mm-hmm. wake up. You just want to make that as consistently as humanly possible. And it's it's amazing. Yeah, we we've done. Um, we, you know, we've seen this manifest in the data. You know, with um, kind of enterprise type folks that we, where we have access and we're doing a lot of analyzing. But um, we're doing some some massive research looking at um, you know this concept of resilience and the number one marker that predicts resilience uh, on. Uh, of our members is the degree to which they go to bed and wake up at a, at the same time. Wow. So it's kind of emerging as like canary in the coal mine as like this single most important behavior um, that helps. I, I think that really is the key to kind of longevity and, and health and, um, you know, immune function and, um, you know, staving off 
disease and, and mental health issues, like sleep wake timing, just it sets your circadian rhythm. It just basically, you know, just is this the most predictable kind of cue that you mm. can give your body that, you know, tells your, your biological kind of systems, what they need to be doing and when they need to be doing it. And, um, it's, it's really probably the, the, the best, um, the most important behavior that people can latch onto. I think if they want to see immediate results. That's so powerful. Okay. Let's go into HRV because this is the one that has baffled me. Yeah. So everything I've read, it's the scale just to fill people in. It's a scale from zero to a hundred yeah. and everything I've read is you shouldn't compare. Recovery is, is zero to a hundred. HRV oh, tell is me, not I thought it was zero to hundred. What's the, what's the range on HRV? So HRV can be, there's oh, it no can real go, range. Yeah. Like there's Justin's no went bound. up to one, 180, 150. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. So it's, it's very unique to each individual. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's dependent on heart size and age and genetics and, you know, all those things are going to influence like what your kind of max heart variability could, okay. could be. Um, so that's going to be different. And, and your behaviors kind of leading up to the moment that you get on whoop and you actually start to understand or realize what your heart variability is, you know, how you live your life, how you've lived your life pre- previously, you know, did you smoke? Have you drank a lot of alcohol? I mean, all those things are going to kind of impact like where you come in at. Um, and then obviously how you treat your body thereafter is will d- dictate whether or not it, you know, improves. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, one of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. Declines. So your so behavior. Yeah, really- and this is why I want to because I have some interesting behaviors that we've been trying to unpack with HRV. But the first thing I want to just be clear yeah. on is you're not supposed to compare your HRV to anybody else because it's unique to you. Is that correct? Yeah. It, it really, yeah, it's it's really just um, you know social comparison in general is is not super healthy. But you know definitely as it relates to HRV, it's just not not the correct way of thinking about the the marker. It's really it is you against you a hundred percent. And it's, um, and you know, it's like when you get on the platform, it's like, all right, this is my HRV. Um, I'm just going to try to adopt behaviors that are going to improve okay. my HRV. 
because we know that better HRV bestows, you know, the, the more variable your, your, your heart mm-hmm. rate, right. The more, the more variability you, you have, um, the more adaptable you are to external stress, the more capacity you have to adapt to external stress, right? So the less variability, the lower your heart rate variability, the less capable you will be able to mentally, physically adapt okay. to your environment. So it's really in all of our, um, best interest to have as much variability as possible so we can optimally respond. So the higher the number for you, the more, the more your body is able to adapt to stress. Would that be your nerve? It's really your cardiovascular system and your nervous system. Your nervous system. Okay. Yeah. So heart variability, it's, it's a function of the heart, but it originates in the autonomic nervous system. So you, you kind of alluded to the fact that, um, your, your heart is, 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 is always like, it's you, the more healthy your um, cardiovascular system, the more responsive it will be to the demands of the autonomic nervous system. So you've got um, the parasympathetic and the, and the, and the sympathetic branch of the nervous system, right? They're both competing to send signals to your heart. Um, The more recovered you are, the more responsive your heart will be to both inputs. So if I need to activate, my heart's going to be responsive to that demand because I'm, I'm really well recovered. If I need to deactivate, my heart's going to be responsive to that demand because I'm highly recovered. The less recovered I am, what and we measure that with whoop recovery, right? We give you, that's the scale of zero right. to 100. Um, the, the less recovered you are, the less responsive your heart is going to be to those demands. So when I need to deactivate, my heart's going to be slow to deactivate. When I need to activate, it's going to be slow to activate. So you really want a balanced autonomic nervous system because um, that is the, and, that, and that's going to be measured or um, that will be um, heart, a higher heart variability is basically going to be a measure of how responsive your heart is going to be to both inputs. And that's going to, is really reflected in a more balanced autonomic nervous Beautiful. system. Beautiful. That was. So all of the behaviors you want to deploy are ones that are going to help bring balance to the autonomic nervous Okay. System. So then is it fair to say if you're trending low for your heart rate variability and stress is high and you feel like you're not handling stress very well, that the, the one way you could handle stress better is to play with those the lifestyle factors you can work with to bring the heart rate variability up so that you're handling your stressful environment differently. Without a doubt. Yeah. And then I would say one of the biggest influencers on, um, on heart rate variability is um, because uh, this behavior, I think influences your sleep as well. And your sleep onset latency, kind of how quickly you, you know, you're able to fall asleep is really the degree to which you're able to buffer stress um, with appropriate amounts of rest okay. during the day. So this concept of autonomic control is, is really, frankly, in my opinion, is kind of the keys to the yeah. kingdom, right? If you can control your autonomic system, you could pretty much tackle whatever you need, right? Cause you're going to be responsive to the demands of your environment, yeah. right? You're going to be able to react in an optimal way and reacting in an optimal optimal way, whether you're trying to you know get out of the way of a moving car or um, you know or give a great presentation, like you know it bestows a survival advantage, right? When you have you know when you're responsive to when you can be responsive to the demands of your environment. So um, you know one of the ways to kind of help facilitate that is to really take control of your stress mm. during the day. Um, and the simplest way to do this is to just deploy some very simple breathing techniques 
where um, where you you know consciously bring your heart rate down. So we call this deactivation, right? And this is because um, when you're when you're activated constantly, that's when you end up with you know this chronic kind of sympathetic, uh, this you know chronic inflammation. Yeah. You you know because you, you're you're releasing. A- cortisol, you're probably not sleeping as well as you can, even if it's subtle and new, you know, you don't really perceive it. You're probably not getting the the sleep that you need because you've got this inflammation. You've got this chronic stress that you're not managing and dealing with. It ends up manifesting in subtle ways, but one of the the metrics that can track it is, is heart rate variability. So one of the best ways to mitigate that is really is to deploy Um, you know, breathing techniques proactively throughout the day. And it doesn't have to be forever. You know, we do it, you know, you do it for about a minute, you know, it takes about a minute for the the vagus Mm -hmm. nerve, um, which is the parent, you know, the the path to the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. It takes the vagus nerve about, you know, a minute to 90 seconds to pick up on lung expansion when you're doing intentional breath work. And it releases acetylcholine, um, which is the chemical that tells your heart rate to decrease. So that takes about a minute to 90 seconds to, to happen. Um, so, you know, all you have to really do is, you know, just, you know, breathe in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, wait four seconds, do that for 90 seconds. And all of a sudden you're buffering stress awesome. with appropriate amounts of rest. Oh. Right. And that's just, simple. yeah, I mean, it's super simple, but what happens when you, when you don't do that is you get what's called this negative stress accumulation. Right. And, and when you have negative stress accumulation, that's when, you know, you're ruminating on stuff, you're lying in bed, you're thinking about your day. You haven't been proactively kind of, you know, taking care mm-hmm. of yourself really is, is what this is. And then even if you're so in sleep that you fall asleep quickly, you'll end up with a, a much more fragmented, you know, nighttime sleep experience than if you were actually buffering stress oh, and rest. That actually is the most helpful thing I ever learned on HRV. And we're now going to try that because uh, my, my understanding oh, was it, that it, it. it's it like you're simple. going into this parasympathetic state technically in at sleep. So I was thinking that it was everything leading yeah. up to sleep. But a couple of things that I've noticed is um, hydration. So hydrating during the day. Um, and even I'll take it even one step further. I started adding in some minerals into my water. And I all of a sudden saw some strange, and I don't know, it has magnesium in it. So I don't know if the magnesium was making, but my heart rate variability went up quite a bit. Um the timing of when I eat before I go to bed also not only affected sleep, but it affected heart rate variability. Um, and, but I'd never really, I was looking at everything prior to sleep and what you're saying. I love this idea of the buffering, like just having moments of parasympathetic activity is going to make a big difference. And is that, that's what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And water stimulates the vagus nerve, right? right? So, um, yeah, (laughs) water solves a lot, frankly, like, like water is amazing, right? There's so many good things, um, from, you know, boosting your metabolism to, uh, you know, your skin health and, and all that. But, um, but yeah, water actually in, in the gut, um, cold water stimulates the vagus nerve. So, um, and which is, you know, the path again to parasympathetic activation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the gut is, is, you know, and you're, you're finding this, the, the gut is obviously is a, a huge piece of, of the puzzle, yeah. right? What we're putting in our, in our gut really influence our, you know, our, our, our autonomic control and, um, 
you know, what's happening from an autonomic nervous system standpoint. One of my favorite books is called Accessing the Vagus Nerve. And it has all these little hacks for your vagus oh. nerve. And one of them is like, is I like gargling it. at night. Um, I know, gargling, laughing. So, so maybe good. I'm going to yeah. try some of those little tricks and see if that changes HRV. I definitely, I mean, I, I, I'm a huge like Seinfeld fan. I like love it. And um, yeah, I literally will just like, or, you know, I'll watch like a five, 10 minute clip or whatever, and just laugh my ass off. And, and right there, like, you know, it's just, it's so you know, laughing. laughing is, is a huge, a huge Oh my piece. gosh. Yeah. Huge piece. I love it. Puzzle. Okay. What yeah. about rest, resting Comedy. heart rate? So, and I specifically want to talk a little bit about it in terms of COVID because there are some things that you can see on, and I had heard that resting heart rate was one of them that when your resting heart rate goes up, that and your respiration rate goes up, those two can be indications that you are either dealing with COVID or um, or you're dealing with some infection of some kind. And I know there were studies that originally when COVID was came to all of our uh, attention that they were using te- technologies like WHOOP to see if you had been infected. Is that still an accurate statement? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we actually just published a, a paper on this, um, and it, it's 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 pretty epic. Um, you know, just the fact that you know we're able to actually see in respiratory rate um, that, uh, and, and that and that ends up being, I think, a more specific marker of of COVID than in fact resting heart rate. Because if I'm if I'm non-COVID sick, um, my resting heart rate is going to increase, and my my heart rate variability is going to de- decrease, mm. right? Respiratory rate is going to stay pretty stable. It's actually not going to move okay. a lot. Um, when I'm COVID sick, my heart rate variability is going to decrease. My resting heart is going to increase just like a non-COVID okay. sick would, right? So these are non-specific markers, but respiratory rate jumps off the map. Mm, okay. In a way that it doesn't for a non, an, uh, you know, COVID is a, is a, um, a lower respiratory tract mm-hmm. infection. Um, so it, it, um, your, your respiratory rate only seems to move in those times, right? It, it very rarely is going to move for anything other than a lower respiratory tract infection. So, um, so that's what I think has been so novel and what we've been able to contribute to yeah. the world in these times is that we're the only wearable device that has, you know, third party validation around respiratory rate. And that is the key marker, um, you know, the, the, the marker that moves the most in the presence of a COVID-19 infection. So when you, if you see, you know, we, we track this in recovery, we track it in sleep as well. And, you know, all you do is you click on your respiratory rate, we've got a band. If you're outside the band, you know, that's when you self isolate, monitor your data. Um, and, you know, if it, if it's, if it, you know, persist, definitely get tested. And we have obviously just tons of stories, but, um, but the recent peer review breaks all this down and, and kind of shows that, you know, for 20% of the the cases, three days prior to symptom onset, we can accurately detect um, COVID. Um, And one day after, after symptom onset, we're, we're detecting accurately 80% of the time. So um, it's really, I know it's a pretty amazing kind of feat, I think for our data science team to kind of be able to uncover um, these insights and, and then obviously be able to push it through um, public, you know, peer review and, and, and get published is really, um, is really a pretty incredible for us. But, but yeah, respiratory rate is really the, the key marker you want to track just because it's specific 
rest, resting heart rate is not specific okay. and that it's going to, your resting heart rate could be, it could just be drinking alcohol. It could be, you know, like it's going to be impacted whereas respiratory rate doesn't change. Okay. So when you say it goes off the charts, you're t- it's not like it goes up by one or two points. You're saying it goes up by like. By like 17% relative okay. to your baseline is like the, the average increase um, in what we've seen with folks who are, are COVID-19. Positive. And are you guys trying, are you looking at this? I mean, uh, this is what I want to go back to my community and say, okay, so until we have testing at home, uh, that's really easy. This yeah. would be an, a great way if you've been exposed to understand if, if your body's fighting it off. Is that how you guys are looking at this? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and certainly, you know, it's, it doesn't replace testing by, by any means, but, you know, because of the strength of, um, you know, of what we've seen in the, in the data in terms of um, what, what actually happens to your respiratory rate in the presence of a COVID-19 infection, it's a great extra layer, mm-hmm. you know, a, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't be monitoring this data point. And, and if it does, if you do see substantial increases, um, it, it could, it could be non-COVID, but, um, but you definitely, that is a moment where you, you absolutely would want to self-isolate, you know, keep track of your data and, and, you know, seek testing as That's soon as beautiful. possible. It's beautiful. Okay. Other yeah. questions that we have are, what about like the EMFs on it? If I put it on Bluetooth and it's just like reading me throughout the day, are there, do we know if there's any EMFs that are coming off of it? Yeah, we found nothing deleterious related to that. Um, you know, I, I kind of plead the fifth a little bit in that. I, I don't know. I don't, ha- you know, I don't think there's enough testing around that, frankly, to say something conclusive, mm-hmm. but, um, but from what I understand and the knowledge I have and the conversations that we've had internally, there seems to be nothing um, dangerous about, you know, whoop and the interaction with um, these other frequencies. And does it matter? Like I just, because of my knowledge, I'd put it on Bluetooth all day and then I just pair it before I go to bed and I pair it when I get up. So it's not on Bluetooth all. So that, so my phone and my whoop are not pairing with each other all day. That won't change the data yep. at all. No, no, it's, we can collect up to three days as long as it's charged. Right. Um, we'll collect up three days on, on your strap. So you can be away from your, you know, your Bluetooth for 48 hours, you know, and reconvene. It will take a little bit. It does take some a, data yeah. latency, you know, It'll take a little bit to load, but yeah. you know, that's fine. Um, but yeah, it, that's, that's, I think a, an awesome feature that, you know, we were able to yes. kind of store that data for you. Like you're not losing a second of data. It's all there. And when you reconvene with your phone, we'll, we'll get you. Sorted yeah, My out. phone decided to take a, a hiatus on Monday and I'd done everything right to get a good sleep score. So I was so excited to wake up Monday to see and then oh, my no. phone was broken. And I kept remembering like what you guys had said that like, it'll store it for 24 hours. I'm like, okay, it's stored in there. I'm just going to take a deep breath. It's all going to be okay. Yeah. Actually, for three, days. For three yeah, days. Three days. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Okay. Does yeah. it matter what arm you put it on? It doesn't. Nope. Okay does not matter. It should be on top. In fact, in fact, I, I, I definitely recommend at night. I always like, I, un, you know, I change yes. wrists. Um, I, I literally, as soon as I get in bed, that's just like my routine. I just, just to, you know, just so I'm not on the yeah. same wrist all day. Um, yeah, that's my own, that's my little routine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and your guys band thing is really cool. Like whoever thought that up, please give them our compliments because here in Oh, in my office, we're all like, sure. oh, do you see they have a new band? Like I got last night at nine o'clock, one of my docs in my office sent me, oh, did you see these bands? So you definitely have made it really fun that way. 
our design team is just like next level. They're so good. And, um, and this ProNet is just like, it's just really good yes. technology. You know, like it's, it sounds so trivial that, you know, just like, oh, it's just like a band, but this is like some serious technology to like be able to hold to the skin in a way that isn't uncomfortable, um, that feels kind of breathable, um, but then allows like, enables a good signal quality, like, holy cow, like they really just, they're, they're just, I can't speak yeah. highly enough about them. They're just unbelievable. Yeah, you guys did a great job. My other question on just lo- like logistical kind of things is these groups that you've created. That is also amazing. And like I said, we have a group of my whole staff that's in one group and now we have all our, our resetters in a group. Is there any way to chat to each other within the group? Because we've been trying to figure out how to point out if somebody could say, hey, my HRV went up today. This is what I did. We could have a really cool interaction. We definitely want to build that. Um, It's something we're thinking about. We're talking about. We've got, you know, uh, tons of feedback from folks, uh, you know, wanting a feature inside the community. Um, So, yeah, that is definitely we're marching toward that 100 percent. Okay. We, we know how, how powerful that would be and how important that is. And um, yeah, and to be able to have those conversations like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, testing out cold thermogenesis. Like, you know, this is what this is what the impact it seems to be having on me. It's the only thing I've changed. And, you know, my heart rate's up 20 milliseconds or my, you know, heart rate really is up 20 milliseconds, you know, things like that. Like that kind of banter back and forth can just accelerate wisdom and um, help people like really dial in on the behaviors that are, are actually most efficacious as it relates to, you know, kind of improving your situation. Yeah, we have uh, in our clinic, we have a bunch of biohacking, like we have a hyperbaric oxygen, we have a PEMF machine and infrared sauna. So we've all t- played with those pieces. Like we are, we're uh-huh. like, if you it. go in the hyperbaric, what does, happens to your HRV and your deep sleep? If you go on the, on the PEMF, so cool. yeah. And we found that actually it's, uh, not 24 hours later, it's usually 48 hours later that we start to see some changes. Do you feel like it takes time? It's the repetition of all activities in order to see a change. It's not necessarily one thing. Yeah. I mean, you're some of your habits, yeah, you know, there's, just, there's no question about it. Like I, I think it all, you know, just kind of the average of what you're doing is, is gonna, is gonna add up and kind of help you or not. Um, yeah. So I, I think in principle, like, you know, most of these interventions that we're talking about are not going to do harm, right? right? And it, it is difficult, to your point, to isolate which one is really influencing, unless you're kind of doing a more controlled experiment. But that's where a lot of the research that I'm doing um, with external partners, you know, to look at the influence of CBD, um, the mm. influence of CBD THC, the influence of um, float tanks, um, you know, what does infrared sauna do and in, in, in creating kind of a controlled scientific experiment, um, you know, that will go through peer review and, and that's probably properly executed. So we can start to unpack like, you know, what what are these behaviors, right, that we can really help members understand um, are, are most are most impactful on average, you know, and, and people are still going to have to do a bit of experimenting, but we'd love to be able to distill that down for you and, and, and provide that knowledge. Um, we actually have this in, in really incredible study with Stanford University. Um, I don't know if you know Dr. Andrew Huberman. I but do. I if fo- you have a chance. Yeah, to- I yeah. follow him on on Instagram. Yeah, I love his work. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just like such a star. Uh, I just like love him so much. But um, anyway, he's just such a great source of knowledge and um, so bright. Yeah, and uh, but we're doing. Uh, yeah, we have a study right now. It's actually in in analysis. Um, but while looking at at heart variability. Uh, measures during 
uh, breath work mm. and um, different types of breathing protocols, um, along with meditation as a, as a control and, and understanding its influence on sleep architecture. So we actually um, have quite quite a few insights mm. in terms of what is most efficacious as it relates to um, helping folks get into deeper stages of sleep. So oh, um, we'll have, we'll be able to provide some of these insights. Yeah. Um, so anyway, a lot of the external research we're doing is, is really trying to, to unpack everything you're talking about from infrared to, um, you know, to float tanks, to all these different modalities yeah. that exist that, that have an influence on heart rate variability and, and sleep. Okay. Things. Last couple questions. Cause I know you got to go and I just saw my computer's about to die. So we'll, we'll make this quick. Uh, but, um, okay. Tell me what, you know, like you personally, when you look at your, your whoop in the morning, what are kind of the biggest drivers that you use? Yeah, I definitely go to, um, I go to my sleep first and I, I look at, you know, how much time I spent a week. Okay. Um, that's, uh, and, and I think one area that I'm actively trying to manage is my sleep debt. If I keep my sleep debt below 30 minutes, um, I know that my, my, my chances of, of illness and injury burden go down, uh, like a hundred percent, like I, in all the, the observations I've, I've had in the data over five years, you know, looking at tactical and elite athletes, if you have less than 30 minutes of sleep debt, you're pretty much bulletproof. Mm. I, mean, I haven't been sick in four years. Wow. Like four years. And you have kids. Like I, like, Did I hear you have kids? I have kids? two kids. Well, how old? I have two, 13 and 12. They're 18 months apart. Okay. So when they were little, that was hard to affect your sleep debt had to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't actually when they were young and not, you know, at an age where they were, you know, still their sleep was still inconsistent. Um, yeah, I wasn't actually tracking unfortunately, but right. yeah. So okay. I got a week after they had, you know, stable sleep and yeah. So I have switched in that regard, but, um, but yeah, I think, so you, you uh, you that, guard your really sleep, important. you guard your sleep big yeah. time. Yeah. That, that like, yeah. I mean, uh, my family will, they, they laugh at me, but, but, they're, but they're, their sleep is dialed in too. I think we're all, we're all on board with, That's with awesome. sleep for, for part. That's awesome. Yeah. But, um, okay. And then yeah. you've had some really interesting people that you've been analyzing their whoops, some professional a- uh, athletes. Who's the most interesting and what have they, what have they been able to accomplish from just understanding their whoop? Oh, that, that's an awesome question. Um, you know, I, I think what's, what's hard is, you know, we, we generally can't reveal, right. you know, who we're working okay. uh, with, so it's, it's hard, but I, I have a funny story with one of um, the NBA athletes I was working with. Um, he came onto the platform and, you know, he'd been on for a couple of weeks and, you know, he texted me, he's like, Hey, can you, can you check my data and, and let me know what you think? So I look, I look at his data and I'm like, I'm like, dude, like you're waking up like every single night. Um, for like a couple hours, like what the hell is going on? Like literally he's like awake. Um, so he'd wake up and then like the next part of his sleep would be either sleep again or it was a nap. Um, but never had consolidated sleep. And he's like, I wake up with the night sweats. I have my whole life. I'm like, what do you mean you wake up with the night sweats? And so I was like, of course, start asking the obvious questions of like, what are you eating? Mm And sure enough, I mean, the guy would have like a bag of sour patch kids and like a bucket of I know, I know. The worst diet on oh, the planet. No. This guy, he'd been in the league for three years. Wow. And was operating at like literally half his capacity. Wow. Like I'm telling you, I mean, he's already so good. Like that's what, that's what, like, it's like, what are you actually leaving on the table? Yeah. And this guy so good, right? Like he played a lot of minutes and, you know, had some injuries here and there, but for the most part was doing okay. But once we, once we fixed his nutrition and the guy started actually, it, he, it's the first time in his first, in his whole entire life that he actually slept through the night. 
Wow. Like just, just by fixing this one thing that he, he literally had made no connection. Yeah. No one in his life had made this connection for him. So cool. So I think that was, it changed his life. He ended up making the all-star team and, um, you know, for the first time in his career, uh, you know, was, was basically went from like doubled every category of, you know, in terms of assists and steals and Amazing. rebounds and points and free throw percentage. Like it just all got better. Like, literally within weeks like it was just like the most insane so i think that for me like was like one of the like coolest things i had been a part oh, of i love that um, guys one of my baseball players uh, i'm you know super close with to this day but you know this is like gosh three years ago um you know was really low hrv um was on all sorts of medications like sleep meds and just like cold turkey just quit all of that and just stopped drinking alcohol, just like dialed everything in and, um, you know, ended up extending his career. He's an older athlete. Um, you know, really, I think ended up giving himself probably two more years in the league that he wouldn't otherwise have had, um, had he not like dialed in, um, on all and, you know, use the data to really inform, uh, some of his behaviors. So that was, that was a really cool, um, really cool story. But I mean, all yeah. that from, uh, th- this is what I'm seeing in my family is that just the, us all tracking it, we're like making changes. It's so cool. Okay. Let's, what about mindset? So I want to kind of end on the, where we started, which is um, who do you, who's inspired you the most when it comes to mindset? You don't, I don't think you come out of the womb with the mindset that you have somewhere along the line, you learn to have that kind of mindset. Who do you, who's been the most influential for you? I would say um, two individuals uh, that I met back at the University of Iowa, I think were most central in informing kind of my thoughts around performance education and just how to think about the physiology and the psychology. They were just so ahead of their time. Um, Dr. Molly Marty and Dr. Lockett Stewart, um, they were PhD students at the time. And and I was working inside the, the athletic department. I was on the, you know, I was a Olympic, um, you know, uh, athlete. So I was, I was playing on the U.S. national team and, and, competing. And anyway, I got, I got, you know, uh, kind of funneled to these, to these folks or I met them and, um, I ended up being a research assistant for them and, um, worked really closely uh, with them for like three years. And, and that was really my foundation around, uh, you know, performance and just starting to think about performance in more, in a more intentional way. Um, but just from everything from being able to kind of actually define, you know, performance and understanding that our mindset, you know, our ability to have a growth oriented, you know, positive mindset is a hundred percent contingent on how I sleep, how I recover, mm-hmm. how I train, how I move my body. Um, it's, it's contingent on, you know, the extent that I have purpose in my life that I, you know, feel like I have the skills and resources to do what's asked of me. You know, do I have control over my day? You know, mindset doesn't just appear for us, right? Like mm-hmm. my ability to access my mindset is contingent on how I manage these physiological and psychological variables. Right. Oh, and if, if we're not, that. if we're not, if we're not helping folks understand that we're, you know, we're just missing the whole, we're missing the whole, <laughs> the whole foundation. Right. So Amazing. I think, um, yeah, especially, so I this think year, really cool. especially this year when anxiety is so high for people to see what they can control is so powerful. Yeah. So. It's hard to talk yourself into a better future, you know, when you're not, you know, when you don't have this framework. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Last question. Then I'm gonna let you go. If you had one message for the world that you could get into everybody's brain, what would that message be? Go to bed and wake up at the same time as often as humanly possible. Love it. I love it. That's awesome. (laughs) 
Well, thank you, Kristen. This literally, I've been, you know, you've been on my calendar for weeks and we've been gathering questions and we just love the whoop. So please let everybody back at your office know how grateful we are. And we will reach out about fasting because we have so many people that are trying the different pieces that we'd love to be able to share what we're yeah. learning. It would be so fun to do just a little observational study, you know, just, um, you know, get some get some understanding around these different types of protocols, you know, and, and see, you know, what works for men and women and what the differences are. It'd be, it'd be really interesting. Be awesome. So just, awesome. just bring me up when you're ready. Okay. We will. We will. <laughs> right, okay. Thank you. Have a beautiful night. Hey, Resetters. I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for all your wonderful reviews and those of you that have left me comments on iTunes. I just greatly appreciate your thoughtfulness and how much you guys are enjoying these episodes. And it, and it seems like you're enjoying them as much as I am enjoying doing them. One of the things that I've learned in just interacting with so many people is that we've really lost the art of deep conversation. And for me, the Resetter Podcast stands for having meaningful conversations with people who are thinking about health, about life, about mindset in a way that we may not be getting on social media or in mainstream media. And so I just want to say, give you guys a shout out and just say thank you for participating in this process with me. Because as much as I absolutely love delivering the information to you, I love even more knowing knowing that it's impacting your life. So please let us know if there's anything we can do to make this podcast more customized to you, to make it better. We are now officially in season two, and we are working to bring you the best conversations that health influencers have, that mindset changers can give, and to really deliver you something that you're not able to get anywhere else. So from the bottom of my heart, as I always say in my YouTube, from the bottom of my heart, I am deeply appreciative of you. I am deeply grateful to be on this journey with you and let's get healthy together.